Yeah, I don't know, man. You ever just feel like life is just catapulting towards like, some greater purpose? The only DJ crazy enough to tattoo Jackie Brown on his ass. This is Michael Mann, and I ride with Extended Clip. Welcome to Extended Clip, episode 107. I'm one of your hosts, Eddie Averill. I'm Malcolm Baum. I'm JT White. And our double feature today is Love in the Afternoon, the 1972 film by Eric Romare, and I think I Love My Wife, the 2007 film by Chris Rock. Hey, Eddie, wait, so, wait, just, yeah. wait, yeah, wait, no, wait, JT, I gotta ask you something. What were you about to say? <laughs> no, Eddie, I have something to ask you. Um, I'm interested in what Malcolm was going to well, ask that was, me. Well, I was about to ask you about the movement. I was like, why don't we, I'll let JT do it, but I'm going to get my words in there as well, you know, kind of make it up. In, introduce me, introduce <laughs> Yeah. Him. Hey, JT, you were telling me something, something the other day. Why don't you tell it to Eddie? <laughs> well, I was just thinking, like, Eddie, you had this great explanation you told me the other day of why you brought these movies to the podcast. <laughs> God damn it. And uh, I just think the people at home should hear it too. Yeah, we shouldn't skip over that. So a couple of years ago, Malcolm was telling me about this idea for a double feature for extended clip. I actually think it may have been you who told me about mm-hmm. the existence, not the existence of I Think I Love My Wife, but the connection there, uh, that Chris Rock, with the help of Louis C.K., remade a film by Eric Romare. And we talked about another film directed by Chris Rock on the After Hours feed uh, back on Election Day. We talked about Head of State. And this is, I don't know, this is a, a double feature about thinking about loving your wife, you know, considering all the options, uh, but also thinking about your wife. True. And it's also about being bored and middle class, about, you know, yeah. having your afternoons free so your mind begins to wonder, you know what I mean? You're like... You know, maybe I'm not so happy with my wife. You know, maybe I should go go to the clothes store and get it, you know, fitted by a nice, you know, clothes clerk or whatever. That's that's a perverted way I could spend my time. <laughs> so to jump right into Love in the Afternoon, this is the final entry in Eric Romare's Six Moral Tales series. And the moral here is pretty clear. Uh, don't cheat on your damn wife. Don't do it. Romare, he's a he's a traditional guy. He doesn't want, he doesn't, uh, w- when the question of polyamory is brought up, uh, the response is, that's barbarism. And you know what? I agree. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, he does, uh, for being as Catholic and conservative as he is, he does hear it out. He's like, he yeah, has an argument for it. lust. Yeah, it's, exactly. It's on the table. No, yeah, and you know, it is what's funny about Romer, you know, you know, Mr. Traditional Values, didn't quite live a traditional lifestyle himself, you know, I just according to his biography and whatnot, and, you know, no no judgment there, but it is like now, what do you mean by a non-traditional lifestyle? He well, he he never he never settled down. He never you know, he never got married. He mm. liked to he liked to lust a lot, you know, in in in, in silence. Maybe maybe like, you know, um the main character sitting at lunch, you know, you know, uh, looking at all the the women entering the cafe. I mean, he did just make a lot of movies about hot young people yeah. like fucking. So, like, hey, and thank you for that. You know yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, someone's got to moralize hot young people fucking. <laughs> <laughs> if not him, then who? <laughs> so this is the this is the second film we've talked about by returning champion Eric Romare, 
And this is, you know, 10, 15 years before the the other one we talked about, The Aviator's Wife. This is, as we said, part of the Moral Tales series, uh, although it is, a, I would say, a bit of a progression stylistically from the beginning of that series, uh, even if it's, you know, some of the early entries in that series are equally as great, like uh, Claire's Knee or La Collection News uh, are about on this level for me, you know. Uh, I, I feel like it is him kind of taking a step in the direction toward what we would see in the aviator's wife and the compositions here are just so gorgeous here throughout the whole time there's even some kind of uh cuts to closer angles that feel i don't know i i think of one shot in particular that that final temptation scene or actually not even the final temptation scene but the one before that his hand runs along uh chloe's side in that black uh, dress, I guess, and it's just this kind of close shot on the middle of her body and his hand, and it almost feels like Brisson, like it's like a almost out of time editing-wise with the rest of the scene, maybe, uh, it, it just in a way that calls attention to that shot in such a striking way, and there, there are so many compositions like that that feel like just paintings that last for two seconds and really just stick in your mind. No, I would say this is like a kind of a, a step ahead, kind of at least from a formal aspect from like the moral tales and whatnot. It, it still kind of does have that French new wave feel. It still kind of has like a love for like, you know, city lifestyle and whatnot. But like it does, you know, just like kind of um, the focus on the very, you know, kind of singular storyline. And like, you know, how eventually the movie just kind of becomes meetings between the main character and Chloe does kind of remind me of kind of, I don't know, there's like kind of the repetitiveness or just kind of uh, that you see in like the aviator's wife, these returning of meetings and kind of just seeing where that progresses following, you know, something very specific to an end. Yeah, I do think like in terms of form, it is like some of the most adventurous and interesting I've seen from Romare. I, I like the way he builds out those like montages that have monologue mm-hmm. over top. Like he really, I, I don't know, has a powerful like unison of what he's getting at there with like a really quick like flurry of like images that are supposed to, that are supposedly like seemingly random, just like city life. But also the, in the prologue, one thing that, the element of like the fantasy yeah. that happens oh. is just so unlike I feel like any other movie of his that I've seen where he has the he has the amulet that like just makes just women like want to fuck him. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's to dissolve the notion of free will. Exactly. Which yeah. I guess you know to Romare, no free will. It's means like the w- clock stoppers watch. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it's that fantasy essentially. It's kind of yeah. It's kind of like when Adam Sandler slows down time to watch the woman's boobs bounce and click. <laughs> That's very true. This is a long-standing cinematic tradition. <laughs> Pardon, madame. Êtes-vous très pressé? Franchement, monsieur, non, pas très. Puis-je vous demander si vous avez une heure à perdre? À la vérité, oui. Vous serait-il agréable de la perdre avec moi? À vrai dire, je n'en sais rien. Faisons-en l'expérience, comme ça vous saurez. C'est vrai, je le saurai. Excellent. So what is this film all about? Well, we have Frédéric. He is a bourgeoisie executive with a beautiful wife named uh, Helene. And uh, they they got a kid, another one on the way. He sees 
the ex of an old friend of his. Uh, she's looking for some work, kind of trying to mooch a little bit. They spark up a little friendship. Obviously, she's a beautiful woman, and the temptation is there from the get-go as his whole life revolves around being you know, tempted but not drawn in by beautiful women. He gives this monologue in the beginning about how, you know, ever since I got married, all women became beautiful. <laughs> and when I look at them, I'm really just transferring that admiration back to my wife. Yeah. And just like saying all this insane yeah. shit that absolutely rules. Yeah, I wrote down one of, I think, like the purest distillations of that is the quote, I feel their seductive powers without giving into it. This doesn't estrange me from Helen. Far from it. I tell myself, their beauty is simply an extension of my wife's beauty. Yeah, it's such a good way to look at it. No, yeah, I I, lo- I love this aspect because it, it does kind of highlight, I don't know, there's a lot of ways people can, you know, be kind of, I don't know, I guess unsure of their like their own sexuality or kind of like muddle it up and just kind of like his own reasonings for the way, you know, he behaves or whatever and like the logic. Like, you know, I love looking at women because it reminds me of like their wives' beauty, kind of like these weird wraparound ways where it's like, you know, it's good that I'm doing this, that I'm always like looking at women or whatever. And uh, it contrasts with, you know, kind of like Chloe's kind of more self-assured sexuality. And I don't know, just kind of like the hangups he has with that it you know it's funny it is very funny yeah uh one of the things he does instead of going uh to to lunch at a normal time because he likes to take his late afternoon lunch to look at beautiful women pass by in the street uh, he also likes to go shopping and there's this absolutely gorgeous like handheld shot following him going through this department store uh, leading up to the great scene of him getting fit for a shirt by a saleswoman who's just like i honestly thought they were just going to like start hooking up right there. I was like, damn, Romero's getting nasty early with this one. But, uh, you know, he held out. He's a conservative guy. He's going to yeah, hold off get a little. your mind out of the know. gutter. Yeah. You got to get to, you know, get three nice romantic scenes before the, uh, <laughs> the clothes come undone or whatnot. I mean, I love that with this movie where I think there's so much like minor flirtation that because there's so such little actual action that happens each little bit of that is significant where it's like there's another moment where him and his friend are at like a dinner party and the wife is pouring tea mm. and you can see one of them just staring at the other the wife's ass yeah pretty awesome <laughs> <laughs> and i guess what romare's thinking is like how much does all this stuff matter like all these kind of like little flirtations we have like is does that like amount to anything? Because I love how Chloe kind of calls his lifestyle into question at the office, always mentioning like how hot his secretaries are, mm-hmm. which is funny. And then he does eventually admit he's like, yeah, you know, their looks were considered, you know, <laughs> and I do flirt with them, but in a very minor way that makes everyone comfortable. Yeah, he's just like, Look, I, I just like pleasure. I just like yeah. visual pleasure. Yeah. I'm going to hire attractive people. It's good for business. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think that's not to get ahead of ourselves. The the main aspect of, um, well, I, I, other than like the filmmaking style, but what really separates this from the Chris Rock remake <laughs> is that the uh, Nikki character, the analog to the Chloe character in this film, definitely isn't interrogating his life the way that this one does. She's yeah. more just kind of teasing him out of his shell while Chloe's actually 
while she's not the audience surrogate or anything, she's bringing up a lot of the questions that the audience may have about this man's uh, very shallow lifestyle. Uh, Although it is a very comfortable lifestyle as he learns toward the end when he realizes, I got a good job. I can just love my wife. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, it's also like crazy how much he admits himself, like when he's at like that uh, dinner party with Helene, where they're both talking about how they don't know anything about each other's work, where he's like, oh, I've never read, like, her thesis. Like, I don't know what her fucking thesis is about. Like, who fucking cares? Like, Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, he's he's a busy guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's taking, you know, two-hour lunches at whatever, you know, job. I don't know. What is, he, what is, it, what is his job? I think it's his company, right? Okay. I'm oh, he's sure. a self-made man. I'm, if it's not his company, he's like one of the executives, I'm pretty sure, uh, which means it's just some kind of fucking company. <laughs> but yeah, of course, Chloe pokes holes in that. She's like, you know, this is all fake. It's just companies moving money around and people making money off of it. And uh, what I do, you know, as a as a server at a restaurant or a bartender or whatever, that's the real stuff. I'm giving people pleasure, uh, which is a very funny argument to bring up. Because I I wish I could feel that way. (laughs) (laughs) So right after he meets Chloe again, he sees her the next day, or I guess it's the next scene chronologically, uh, while he's shopping with his wife in this department store. But the introduction to that scene is so incredible. You just have the scene of her uh, entering through the escalator and then kind of in the background uh, you have Frederick kind of like walking around in the aisle or whatever. And it's such a crazy shot. It's just this very tall looking shot that has so many different types of movement and foreground and background stuff going on. Um, I don't know. There, there are sparse compositions that are very like minimal and there are stuff like that uh, or there are shots like that. Uh, which just make me think this is like, yeah, one of the more dynamic Romero mm-hmm. films I've seen. Also, yeah, like uh, the push, he, he's really using like the push-ins oh. a lot too. The which intro are, on Chloe, that yeah. push-in while she's smoking is incredible. There's another one I really like where they're talking in the mirror where he's like hypothesizing this. Like, oh, in another world, would we'd be a perfect couple. Yeah, and kind of ruins the mood a little bit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Imagine if we were together for real. That'd be so cool. Yeah. Um I I also I also like kind of like, you know, the kind of dynamic that's going on in the movie. The the different, you know, with uh Frederic being like, you know, middle-class businessman, you know, she being more of a service worker. I love all the times where like he's just visiting like some like shitty apartment that she's moving into and they have like a conversation there and <laughs> he can't even like bring himself to say like, "Oh, this is kind of nice" or what, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. And it's just a good way to show that difference, I guess. And the the slow build from like their their friendship which is clearly just 100% flirtation into uh, their quote-unquote romance is really well done by Romero where the, there's the scene where they're eating at a restaurant like a, a, in a booth together and as Chloe's in a single shot monologuing you just see his hand kind of slowly creep into the frame mm-hmm. <laughs> and it just kind of rests there then for like 30 seconds or so until the next cut uh, where they're basically all over each other uh, but I, I just loved that like slow introduction of his hand uh, around her uh, in that frame it was really wonderful so it's split into a prologue and then two parts uh, the the introduction to his life and the magic amulet set piece that JT <laughs> described uh, is part 
or the, that ends and goes into part one where you meet Chloe and they have their flirtatious relationship and it seems like it will be all over at the end of part one as Chloe leaves him high and dry when he was finally going to give in to temptation. She goes on a little vacation and then he has another baby. And it's like, all right, we're living the good life now. Part two time. Well, part yeah. two is the good life. You got a good family. Just fucking do your thing, man. But he can't do it. He, you know, he hire, first they have like a, a beautiful young nanny uh, part time. Then they hire like an au pair full time who's like a little older, but still just like gorgeous, obviously. Mm-hmm. Just an actress in a Romare movie, you know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and uh, you have the scene of her like nude running through the hall and he just like takes a quick look kind of into the hallway <laughs> and then turns around and does like a little mugging kind of. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, very, it's a very funny scene. <laughs> to skip ahead a little bit, when we get to the uh, the the real business that's going to happen, there is, of course, the gesture that takes him out of it is doing the the turtleneck yeah, um, yeah. thing. But in terms of little elements of it, because I think Romare oftentimes is like called like a very novelistic style mm-hmm. like filmmaker. I mean, certainly has that approach. I like aspects that come back in like Frederick's character like he wears the pussy getting shirt when mm. he's with uh Chloe a lot <laughs> like the one non turtleneck he has like pops up uh, in a few times in their flirtations and i just love like that Romare will have little details like that because i mean again to compare this to uh Chris Rock's version of it i think that like it's pretty spot on like beat by beat but the rock doing the tie on his head like Mm -hmm. that i don't know that moment doesn't work as well as this one does even Mm -hmm. though they're still like such minor gestures yeah uh and the the moment you're talking about jt to to fill in the listener who hasn't seen this movie if they haven't uh i i mean this was the first time for me watching it i know you guys had seen this before Come on, it's on the, it's Criterion. Crowd, I know, man. I, know. <laughs> I know, I know, I uh, know. But anyway, he, w- with his little kid, does a little uh, monster with the turtleneck uh, and says his name. Alexandre. <laughs> Alexandre. And uh, yeah, so he's like taking off his turtleneck and catches himself in the mirror doing a similar gesture uh, after, you know, drying off a nude uh, Chloe and then, uh, you know, joining her in in the boudoir (laughs) and realizes I can't do this. And he just leaves the sink on and runs away. And it's amazing. <laughs> and you get that great long shot of him running down that, you know, uh, spiral staircase of the apartment building. It holds on that shot for so long of him running all the way down, just feeling all of the regret, all of those feelings running through his head. All of that forward momentum launching him back into the arms of his wife so he can go back to living uh, nice traditional life, even though you know his wife's like crying, and they it, it's a very <laughs> strange ending. It, it's beautiful, but it's like uh, she's just like crying, and he's just like, "Well, let's fuck." Yeah. No, I mean, yeah. I, I guess I'd, I I guess it's maybe a little bit hard for me to parse 
I mean, of course, this this is a critique of this character, of course. Of like, course. Oh, of yeah. Course. Yeah, it, yeah. I think it's a, a yeah, beautifully pretty. kind of bittersweet ending yeah. because you know that he is back to the family. Like, he's, yeah. Mm-hmm. But he's maybe kind of adjusting what he wants to get out of his family uh, at this point because he knows he's not going to be picking up any side strain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that well, yeah, I, I guess what I'm trying to say, I get like, I feel like what, uh, you know, big critique on the character. And I feel like there's some. Like there's some points in like the narration where it's like a bit ironic, like where he's saying like, "Oh, she's gonna take advantage of my good intentions," or you know, <laughs> something like that. But I, it is, I feel like, what makes the ending work so well is kind of like this balance with you know, kind of like the irony of like kind of you know the bad behavior of this character. But like there is a sincere consideration for him going back and making the decision to stay with his wife. You know what I mean? And. So yeah, I feel like that that kind of balance of tone really uh, sells it home. I'm gonna give this one four bullets. It's a great film, very like measured. I guess I would yeah. say like the the dramatic structure of it is it's it's an art house narrative structure that gives it room to breathe, but it also feels very like it knows where it's going, mm-hmm. and there's like a logical end point, you know. And yeah, I I found it just incredibly pleasant to look at, like all Romare. And, uh, yeah, I loved it. Yeah, I'm going to go four and a half bullets. Uh, you know, big fan. I The prologue of this movie really kind of, you know, sets it apart from kind of the other moral tales, I guess, just because of, yeah, there's kind of like this adventure. And, like, I feel like there is more, like, he's taking more risks and, you know, using the amulet on each woman and stuff like that. And it's just, it's kind of weird and outside the box. And, yeah, I, I really enjoyed this one. What about you, JT? I'm going uh, full hog five nice. on this one for Ricky Romeo. I'd say this is uh, um, one of my favorites of his, but I'm like in general like a big sucker for his work. I, I don't know. It's uh, a movie about, I mean, we love love here. Absolutely. But we also Absolutely. appreciate lust sometimes. Well, we have to consider the option. Yeah, you consider, yeah. you consider <laughs> lust. And, yeah, that's uh, why. We love love. But we consider lust. I mean, you know, is, is there light without darkness? <laughs> and uh, I, I don't know. Overall, I fi- <laughs> find out next on extended clip. <laughs> this is a really funny movie too. Yeah. Like I think uh, a lot of the horny male oogling. I think you can. I don't know. See a little bit if if you're willing to be honest with yourself. What? You no. can admit a little bit of that. Well, in yeah, there. I mean, we'll get to it with The Rock, but it's like uh, with The Rock, uh, the Chris <laughs> Rock movie. Uh, but, yeah, there's some stuff that's like very directly translated that Chris Rock just makes into more uh, flat-out comedy beats that I laughed at during the Romare film, but they weren't like, you know, comedy parts or anything mm-hmm. like that. That brings up, there's like a quote that uh, Chris Rock said about this particular mm-hmm. thing in terms of at- adapting it. He said, we immediately said Chloe in the afternoon was like a great house with no furniture. No funny furniture, only serious furniture. <laughs> Which I would disagree with. I think yeah. it's a pretty funny movie, but like, I-, I like that way of framing it. <laughs> He's got an architecture plan. You know? <laughs> I mean, He's got the blueprints rolled the out. The Chris Rock auteur is impressive. We'll, we'll talk about it. Yeah. We'll be right back on Extended Clip. Hang yourself while you jerk off plus laughing gas. 
That's how Preston's. <laughs> <laughs> That's how <laughs> auto comedic <laughs> asphyxiation. Yeah. That's how Preston Sturgis died. Funny. I'm just attracted to funny girls. You know what I mean. <laughs> so when I check off, I <laughs> you want to be laughing. laughing yeah. yeah. <laughs> A thousand ways to die. Present this screwball comedian <laughs> was too attracted to funny girls, <laughs> and he paid the price. <laughs> and we're back. On extended clip, it's Malcolm in the middle. Life is unfair. Malcolm, have you watched anything recently? Yeah, it's, well, you know, I know it is Malcolm in the middle, but I, I do want to bring back another segment, Malcolm's Multiplex Minute. Ooh. And, uh, you know, or Malcolm's AMC Rewards Club VIP Lounge, I think was, was that, I think I called it that once. Um, I'm, I'm continuing in the tradition of Chris Rock autourism. And I went out to the theater and I saw Saw 9, otherwise known as Spiral, the, from the book of Spa. Or Spa? Spa. <laughs> uh, actually, I think I meant Saw. On Do you want to take a bath? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, and Jigsaw, he might throw a goddamn blow dryer in there. So uh, I, I would, I'd say no. But, uh, God, that's the scariest <laughs> thing I could imagine, taking a bath that's with true. Jigsaw. <laughs> that's true. Eddie, Eddie did go on Twitter publicly and admit he was too afraid to watch the Saw movies <laughs> because of Jigsaw. He was afraid of what <laughs> I'm not going to get into this. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to uh, 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 I'm not going to get into this. So, uh, you know, maybe Eddie will watch these movies one day when he's grown Classic up enough. Classic perception <laughs> for media bias. I'll talk about it. Yeah. But um, the movie wasn't that great. But it is, it is, <laughs> it was basically just kind of Chris Rock running bits for the first 30 minutes. The movie opens on him with like doing a bit about, you know, Forrest Gump not getting any pussy. And, you know, I don't know. I kind of found, I found that funny, I guess. But I was just kind of interested to, it is like a weird combination. It's like Saw, respectable Saw movie, plus like kind of like procedural crime drama, plus, you know, commentary on police. You got to throw that in there. Of course. And uh, Chris Rock, comedian riffing. You know, he kind of, this is something consistent throughout all the movies where he's kind of like, he didn't write or direct this movie, but I guess it's story by, he definitely made this movie happen, so mm -hmm. to speak. And uh, any movie where, you know, he made it happen, it seems like it involves him just saying jokes for a lot of the dialogue, which mm -hmm. is, you know what? I mean, for a comedian, right? That's kind of what you want. You want them to do what they're talented at. And uh, I don't know, maybe some of the more dramatic parts don't exactly pay off. N none of the, there's no fun traps, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm expecting like Pee Wee's Funhouse, like uh, have the dominoes fall down and then, you know, there's a mouse trap and like the marble rolls into a ball type torture traps, you know what I Hell, mean? Hell, I'll take Toby Hooper's <laughs> The Funhouse. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, it, you know, not a great movie, but put it on the Chris Rock tourism list because it's, it, 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 it it belongs there. Okay, JT, how's life been treating you? Unfair? Um, pretty, pretty damn fair. I've, okay. I, I would even say it's been treating me well. Okay. I've been seeing a lot <laughs> of really good movies recently, and probably the goodest, most recent movie, <laughs> Shri Four Twenty, uh, by Raj Kapoor. I had seen one other movie by uh, Raj Kapoor, and it's like, this motherfucker has 10 movie, like mm -hmm. 10 directed movies. He was in a lot more, but like, that's that's child's play. That's so easy. <laughs> and I have them all downloaded, all saved, and Shri420 was just calling my name. Uh, Kapoor is like 
a real chaplain style motherfucker in this. He's like a poor guy from the country going into Bombay to make a life for himself. Get loaded, be on easy street, have a great happy life. And he's a real carefree, playful, um, poor guy, but then he gets caught up with uh, the prospect of striking it big and uh, being and developing loose morals, cheating at card games, like fast women, faster cars, all that shit. He's uh, and I really think that like, I mean, while Kapoor is going like chaplain mode in terms of like the kind of like goofy, silly tramp character that he's playing, this really did. Uh, remind me of Verdue in the sense where it's like uh, talking about like flirting with that sort of high class lifestyle and that all of these riches will lead you to nothing actually um, and it was like I don't know really funny really sweet a lot of great music a blast and uh, I, I can't wait to do uh, more Raj Kapoor movies JT I, I you know I was a fan of your review on Letterboxd of this and Monster Verdue which you know told the truth a little bit you know maybe something that the listeners need to hear you know chasing paper and chasing hose will drive you insane it'll drive you crazy yeah <laughs> all the great filmmakers are saying this <laughs> <laughs> it's very true I watched a couple films by Preston Sturges this week. Uh, I'm going to talk about Hail the Conquering Hero. This is a film about stolen valor. So you know okay. it had my name all over it. Uh, this is a film that glorifies stolen valor. <laughs> this is a film <laughs> that you know, tells you to do it. Uh, no, uh, I don't know, man. Sturges' sensibility is so goofy that it's almost hard to take the like social critique. Not seriously, but it's like you forget because of how goofy it is yeah. how how complex it could be like i was watching this and 30 minutes in i was like i have to rewatch this whole 30 minute chunk again because i'm you know laughing but i truly do not understand the <laughs> what is being accomplished in some of these scenes i'm talking here about miracle of morgan's creek rather uh sorry uh that movie felt so just like narratively dense uh, as well as comedically dense, you know, a 30 rock level of jokes per minute, if you will. Uh, but also just, you know, weaving together this incredible uh, kind of screwball narrative. Hail the Conquering Hero, on the other hand, the the stolen valor anthem, a little more straight ahead. Uh, we see this guy and <laughs> God, I'm just going to laugh every time I fucking see his name. Woodrow Lafayette Pershing Truesmith. Uh, that's Eddie Bracken's character who couldn't serve, uh, couldn't serve in the army because or in the Marines uh, because he has chronic hay fever. He just starts sneezing all the time. <laughs> and uh, so he, he meets with some Marines that he, uh, you, know, to, you know, spins a little bit of yarn to them and they convince him to you know spin it a little further and say that he was you know wounded in combat and honorably discharged and he comes back home just to just to make his mom proud you know just to be like ma i really did it i fought in the war and what happens instead is a town ready to hoist their new hero uh, upon the mayoral throne. And uh, so he has to, you know, run for mayor. And it's the, a classic kind of wrong guy comedy uh, as he's put into all these insane situations. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, Eddie Bracken is incredible here. Uh, the second 
Sturge's film in a row that he stars in, and I think he's much more comfortable in the milieu here. And Ella Raines is incredibly, you know, uh, seductive to his character here, and you know, probably the best female counterpart in a Sturge's movie since Stanwyck and the Lady Eve, going chronologically at least. And uh, yeah, I, I just feel like it's such a great like microcosm of American politics and media perception of politics. Uh, <laughs> much you, were like, talk, you were talking about this earlier. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I, um, yeah, it's, it's so great. Just, just watch hail, hail the conquering hero and steal some valor. Absolutely, I gotta get yourself a you know free side of fries. Go go to Red Robin and get you know a free side of fries. Red Robin sides are the goat. I don't know if anybody's heard about this, but the Red Robin sides are the goat. <laughs> Zach, please come on the podcast. Zach Lowe, please. the The season's almost over. You'll be free in a few months. Come on. That's Zach Lowe shouldn't include that in your ad read. You know, steal valor for free sides at Red Robin. <laughs> The goat at sides. <laughs> Steelig Valor is the goat. <laughs> when it comes to sides, Red Robin is the goat. Bottomless steak fries with free. Excuse me, would you like to have sex with me? Of course I would. Well, oh, come on. When you're single, you're never at a loss for words. Excuse me, can I bite your ass? For a thousand dollars. No, come on, let's get biting, bitch. When you're single, you have nothing to lose. Come with me to a hotel right now. Have an appointment. Yeah, a pussy appointment. For whatever reason. And it's not particularly funny, but I think I think I fucked my wife comes into my head. <laughs> I I remember the ads for this distinctly when I was young. I remember being like intrigued by this movie because I was the title is provocative. It's like you think, think he thinks he loves his wife. What are you doing, pal? I You're remember, supposed to love her. I remember the ad came paying for this when i was young and being like put off as like this is an adult movie yeah like this is yeah it's about problems i'm not gonna have forever this movie's about getting pussy i don't like it (laughs) (laughs) gross pussy has cooties (laughs) i think i love my wife is a 2007 film by chris rock written by chris rock and louis ck it was originally going to be directed by charles stone the third returning champion or would be returning champion charles stone the third who directed mr 3000 and uncle drew among others it is a pretty direct remake which (laughs) means that the differences are really where rock shows his individual authorial stamp instead of a you know bourgeoisie french couple it's a upper class or upper middle class uh, african american couple and you know chris rocky explains in his voiceover that he's the only black guy that works at his building other than the janitors uh, and he's kind of uh, I would say very subtle when I say very subtly navigating uh, this kind of, uh, you know, subtext of the film. I say it as in there's not that much there. You kind of just like have the setup and you can make of it what you will. He's not going to hit you over the head uh, with his views on, you know. Racial office politics, I guess. Yeah. I guess, yeah, there's that aspect where it's about like throughout the movie about, you know, kind of like his trepidations of raising his family within a predominantly white culture. Yeah. But that's also contrasted by him getting into indie rock and breaking out of the show. I wouldn't quite call it indie rock. No, yeah. No. It is revealed to be (laughs) the the killers. No, it's the Foo Fighters. Oh, the Foo Fighters? It's the Foo Fighters. Well, yeah. That's. I, I, I guess I don't know indie rock like you do. Uh. 
You asked me to name a Foo Fighters song. I'm in trouble. <laughs> True. I'm Mike Francesco when it comes yeah. to the Foo Fighters. <laughs> Not familiar. <laughs> but anyway, um, there's really no need in running through the plot as it is the same as the Eric Romare film. Mm-hmm. I like that instead of the magical amulet uh, sequence, it's just kind of a scene of Chris Rock imagining if he were single and yeah. girls just wanted to fuck him, which yeah. is also great kind of self-critique because it's like that is, of course, what you know guys in that bored state of a relationship will get it's like well if i was single you know any of these girls would you know yeah be down uh so the hall pass conundrum yeah exactly <laughs> rather than it being a magical amulet that negates free will it's just chris rock saying let's fuck and girls being okay with it and i think that scene draws out the comedy that's inherent in the romare one that obviously romare's not a comedy filmmaker uh and rock really can elevate that kind of stuff and it's it's small scenes like that that uh really make this rock's own film comedically and just i you know in terms of uh the chris rock filmography his yeah. film style i Ain't, there you go he added a layer to this as well that it's like it's not just a bored man He's not getting any pussy anymore, yeah. which could be implied, which could be assumed in uh, in mm-hmm. Love in the Afternoon potentially. Yeah. But this is more about like the wife ain't putting out no. Yeah, more. Well, you gotta well, have I, more stakes. Yeah, gotta, it's Hollywood now. You gotta have yeah. stakes, and that's the thing that I find weird about this film. And I can't tell if it's good or bad because it's like it feels like such a Hollywood uh, processed script, but at the same time. It still kind of has that leisurely art house pacing. Yeah. yeah. And I think those things are a bit contradictory, but it definitely results in some interesting stuff. Rock takes the movie and he puts it, you know, in a very like American terms. Like it is like kind of like that that pre um, 08 financial crisis where you see a lot of movies about, you know, people working in offices again and whatnot and, you know, dealing with that but i feel like yeah he just makes everything more explicit here whether you know it's implied in the you know romares that maybe he's not having sex with his wife like that's i think right out the gate like i think there's chris rock is you know whining about you know not getting any sex also there's a weird uh, there's a weird shot where they're in bed together and he's like you know upset about not getting any in that intro and he has trump magazine on his nightstand (laughs) very funny (laughs) like he's a businessman yeah so, yeah, I feel like that's where a lot of, like, um, kind of rock, you know, his comments about, like, there only being dramatic furniture in the original and not comedic furniture. His comedic furniture is kind of uh, saying the quiet parts out loud, you know, with uh, his remake. Yeah. And honestly, I, I like that aspect yeah. of it. I think that's, like, you know, a comedian's read of an art house movie is finding the comedy in it. Another thing, uh, you know, for all you film fans out there, the uh, office that he worked at is called uh, Pupkin and Langford, the two main characters from The King of Comedy, <laughs> for all you cinephiles out okay, there. Okay, Chris Rock, you could call him the King of Comedy. Whoa, whoa, <laughs> that's Jerry Lewis you're talking about there. Let's calm down here. Do you think that's what he was getting at with those characters? Good luck. We're, let's, let's... <laughs> This is bad conversation. At this point, no, it's just now that I think about it, it's like Chris Rock at this point has directed maybe half as many movies as Jerry Lewis. And by the time he goes out, maybe he'll have as many. And uh, I don't want that comparison to be made. I mean, we're 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 as big of pushers of Chris Rock auteurism as anybody. But mm-hmm. let's let's be. Let's, yeah, you know, no. let's, well, let's exactly. take it easy here. Well, let's, I mean, you know, uh, you know, he himself kind of has. You know, with Saw 9, he's kind of stepped back from the directorial role there. So it is maybe, maybe he's, you know, 
uh, realizing, you know, his own talents. But you know what? I think this is an interesting movie. I don't want to discredit this movie because it is, you know, I kind of, one thing about it, and, you know, even though it is a remake, I guess, technically, I didn't expect it to go kind of beat for beat yeah. for, um, you know, the original version. And, you yeah. know, I, watching the, I watched both in the same day, back to back, essentially. Me and it, too. And it's, it's very interesting, just kind of a weird experience just to see this movie being remade in front of you for, like, this, you know, 06 America version. So, like... I guess that's not really a critique of like the movie itself, but it, it made for an interesting double feature experience. Yeah, I was expecting it to be a lot jokier and like, t- and I think it gets that into that territory. I think in the uh, latter end of the film, it gets a little bit like, I mean, the boner stuff. Of course. That is yeah. like, I feel like the furthest it diverges from Romare. Um, but yeah, it's just, it is so perplexing to see like a Romare movie shoved into a 2000 studio comedy. (laughs) And I think for that reason, it's like there's not, there weren't as many like big laughs, but it was just like pleasant, like vibing with it. I mean, there are lines like when he calls uh, a big breasted woman's tits village feeders, (laughs) that got me. Um, there's, uh, when Steve Buscemi calls rock captain save a hoe, hearing <laughs> yes. him say that line, just fucking rules. Well, same with like Edward Herm- Herman telling him at the end, it's like, you know, Cooper, you can lose a lot of money chasing women, but you'll never lose women chasing money. There's stuff on the peripheries here, which is just kind of like rock adding more comedy to it. It doesn't exactly relate to the main plot but it is just kind of like these tangents like rock loves seeing like white people recite like you know quote-unquote like black culture so Mm -hmm. it gets a huge kick out of it you know including you know the scene where we see like a white pizza delivery guy uh rap the n-word in an elevator (laughs) yeah and it's like i don't know exactly (laughs) what rock i guess it it rocks just being like that that's just some funny stuff there yeah exactly yeah yeah, yeah. well i mean if you're taking the deep deep read let's do uh one of the other you know four people that worked in the building of color was uh the the, i guess he was a mailroom guy who was on the elevator early in the film rapping that same verse so it seems that that guy has been pushed out of the company and they've hired a white guy who says the n-word at work instead nah not great business practice sometimes uh sometimes you know corporate america pretty racist and i mean i guess if you do want to carry out this read further i feel like the office is condemning rock's lecherous behavior while pretty much like letting buscemi get the pass for doing the same thing i I actually love that comedically even if it is kind of a strange thing in the reality of the film where steve buscemi's been you know cheating on his wife for the whole time but he just doesn't care and meanwhile chris rock is someone who cares and has feelings which is pretty funny. Chris Rock, you know, it, Buscemi gave him the the care lord reasoning. He was like, well, at least I'm not mad. At least I don't, at least I don't care. <laughs> it is, yeah, it is like uh, Buscemi really just kind of gets like, you know, maybe like 10 minutes of screen time. But it is, it is kind of interesting just him being like an affable friend. You know, there really isn't really much uh, condemning, I guess, of his behavior yeah. or anything like that. Or even Edward Herman, who is like just kind of on the peripheries of the movie, just kind of overlooking Rock, making sure he gets back to work or something like that. <laughs> uh, speaking of his work, I really love Chris Rock in the zone at work with the headset on and mm-hmm. the putter in his office. Just a great look with the giant goofy headset. 
Also, uh, just some other great things for of the time. You know, you have one one of the uh, one of the methods of flirtation uh, with the Nikki character, the analog of the Chloe character from the Romare original, is they do a little iPod swap to get each other get to know each other's taste in music which for some reason Nikki's is overwhelmingly white uh, and gives him a Foo Fighters song it's just so uncomfortable every time you hear that so you hear it twice in the movie and it's just I hate it yeah there, there are some like like this is an adventurous film like you know even though maybe Rock's visual style isn't uh, quite developed there are like scenes where he's going out of his way to try things I mean I we should maybe save the ending for the end because that is that's a whole other thing to yeah. unpack. But, but it for is, one it, scene yeah. with a lot of directorial effort, uh, let's say the scene featuring Stephen A. Smith. Yeah, uh, where oh, you get yeah. that kind of Hannah and her sister, and he is a big Woody Allen fan. Yes. That Hannah and her sister's style circular tracking shot around the table conversation before then getting into more of a coverage thing because you know if you're shooting guys riffing, it's hard to get in a crazy 360 tracking shot but you get some great Stephen A riffs in there. Yeah. <laughs> you know it is it is funny like that scene what is like it's you know we always talk about the same three things at the dinner table it's uh rap music the Jews and Michael Jackson and it's like framed it's like oh, I always have to talk about this I'm like this sounds like some pretty good combo <laughs> I would love to have a seat at the table getting in this conversation that's <laughs> if that's what married life is like sign me up <laughs> <laughs> Bitches, hoes, hoes, hoes in different area codes. I'm kind of wondering, did anybody have a nice mama? Was it a situation where their mama smacked them upside the head and they said, bitch? Then there's the conversation about the Jews. They had it just as bad as us. Black folks need to take care of themselves just as well as the Jews take care of themselves. we can't stick together. That's the problem. We're too busy buying spinning rims and gold teeth. You think Steven Spielberg got spinning rims? And no group of people are too sophisticated to have a conversation about Michael Jackson. I blame Joe. Please, what grown-ass man sleeps in a bed with kids? Michael Jackson just didn't have a child. Hey, man, childhood's only 12, 15 years. Michael's like 50. How many sliding boards does this nigga need? You know good and well you would not let that man babysit your kids. I wouldn't let Michael Jackson watch my kids on TV. Amen. I mean, all, uh, in terms of, like, stylistically where rock gets a little bit more adventurous, I'm not necessarily sure this works, but the moment in love in the afternoon where chloe leaves him is played here where nikki like invites him out to the club mm, and yeah. like just isn't there and there's that weird sort of like hazy kind oh of, yeah like drunk kind effect. of a time lapse around him kind of thing yeah. yeah yeah i you know i guess i think that's interesting what works better i guess is like i like how the the girls who sold him a shirt show back up and like he smokes a blunt with them at oh, the club. Oh, that rules. That's that is, really funny. That is and like, then dances to Laffy Taffy. Yeah. yeah. That was that was amazing. And I feel like the better, you know, there are movie there are scenes in this movie where there's like kind of more of a like a stronger visual effort being put forth, but kind of like the most well-directed points of this movie are kind of when things are just kind of a little bit more like breezier, you know, kind of maybe yeah. cutting from the back and forth. There's a lot of like transition scenes that just work really well and are probably more well directed than a lot of other parts of the movie that I noticed. Yeah, I feel like a lot of the Chris Rock walk and monologue yeah. stuff, which is the most Romare-esque, I guess, uh, is really well directed. Yeah, uh, like him walking through that train station and there's even a woman just in her underwear at the train station mm -hmm. when he's trying to resist the temptation. And yeah, it's great. I mean, it has a lot of the same kind of things about 
cinema that I love that the Romero original does about, you know, kind of just looking at hot people and uh, that being the basis of cinema and the the moral ramifications that come with <laughs> that being the way you lived your life, uh, yeah. <laughs> that filthy way to live your life. But the finale here played so much different than the Romare as Romare had that sad scene where Helene is crying and then they, you know, presumably go fuck and, you know, it ends on that shot out the window, that yeah. beautiful still life. Here, we yeah. get a little musical number. Nice. What are you thinking about? I I really hated this. You yeah, hated was, it. Was I, yeah, bad. It was I I really I don't know. I just I it's it's hard not to think of their original, but it's just first of all it's not funny like yeah. at all, but it's it's just like I don't know, like this movie does kind of like it has uh even though it does kind of fit more in the mold of like American, you know, studio comedies. It, like you guys said, sometimes it has like that more leisurely, you know, art house you know, personal type, you know, narrative structure. And then I feel like he just kind of goes, you know, just pure bottom of the barrel here just for no reason. I don't know. I wouldn't, I I didn't have as like violently negative as a reaction, but yeah, it's not a good ending. It's just, it's lazy. It's yeah, no, it's, if you're going to have to put an effort to do something like that, I wouldn't say, but yeah, I guess it's like lazy in terms, in terms of, of like what else can we think of for a big ending? Yeah, oh, a musical terms, number. In, yeah, in the way in the way it was thought out. Yeah, 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 yeah. In the way it was thought out, it was lazy. I don't want to discredit all the people who set up the lights and hold the <laughs> microphone. I'm never I'm never discrediting them when I'm talking about the quality of a movie. I just want to get that out there. <laughs> I uh, I've been struggling with what I was gonna rate this one. I haven't even logged it on Letterboxd because I'm not sure. But I guess I'm gonna go two and a half bullets on this one. I think it is not a successful film. Not even for like remake reasons. I think it's just like there's a lot of scenes that are just I don't know. I, I think what I said earlier about it having an art house pacing but a studio comedy feeling make that hour and a half run a little dry. But there's enough good gags to keep it going. I love Chris Rock's uh, style. There's just that that certain sensibility that feels a little out of time despite how locked in 2007 this film is. And uh, yeah, I, I'll probably watch it again at some point despite its flaws. Uh, it's... I almost want to bump it to a three, but I'm keeping it at two and a half, two and a half bullets. Well, you know what? Just to, you know, maybe, you know, since I liked, you know, Love in the Afternoon a half star better, I just like this movie a half star better. Maybe it's just simple as that. You know what I mean? Because it does follow the same structure wow. as that movie. So I am going to give it three bullets. And, uh, but yeah, I, yeah, Rock is, I guess it is like, I, I'm just very interested yeah, by I'm this I'm going movie. three bullets too. Yeah. It's not peer pressure. I've, I've <laughs> I actually took off my headphones. Is Malcolm talking right now? Yeah. I can't tell. I think he did it because he was scared of my reaction. <laughs> I'm scared of Chris Rock. Yeah. Yeah. Saw. Because he did a Saw movie. Uh, <laughs> Chris Rock's not Jigsaw. Okay, you're safe. But um, no, yeah. It's just, it's just interesting just seeing, yeah, like this kind of weird meshing of tones, studio comedy, art house classics, and seeing kind of Rock navigate through that landscape. And like, yeah, I don't know. There are... It hits some of the same tones that I feel like the original does, but also has some tangents that are very original to him. And yeah, you know, even though not everything was done perfectly, it is just, it held my attention. I was interested. I'd like more of these types of movies. I get, you know, just weird shit like this. Yeah, I feel like that's, you hit the nail on the head with that. That's like perfect. I'm going through bullets as well. It's uh, an interesting curiosity that like, 
aside from the ending, never really made me all that frustrated with yeah. it. And it was just nice to like see such a strange movie and like, I don't know, the clear imprint of rock is on it. Like he adds enough. I mean, doesn't take those tangents really anywhere. Like no, yeah. about like, uh, like a black American experience of like bourgeois lifestyle. It's like mostly like, I don't know, kind of like hinted at and like, I mean explicitly, but doesn't really take it anywhere, but it's interesting nonetheless, like worth checking out. Extended clip podcast at gmail.com is where you can get in touch with us. Uh, we have one email this week. It's from James Waters, and the subject line is Griffin Newman. Oh, no. Sup, boys. Greetings from Melbourne. Melbourne. M- Melbourne. Hey, hey, where's that? Melbourne. I should thank you guys for truly making me realize the horror of the Blink Check podcast. <laughs> when mildly depressed and confused during the lockdown, I went through a whole bunch of their episodes, feeling something wrong but unable to articulate it properly. I may very well have discovered Extended Clip through a review Eddie wrote on iTunes. I have never reviewed Blank Check on iTunes. Let's get this very straight. Regardless, I'm happy to report I now have perfect politics contingent on hating the worm that is Griffin Newman. (laughs) Improv comedy is the bane of my existence. I'm hoping to get to the point where I eliminate podcasts from my life entirely. No offense to you guys, just the way things go. (laughs) I agree. That's a very good sentiment. But my current diet consists of the Important Cinema Club, Michael and us and you guys which I think is pretty good now here's a picture of David Milch saying the word cuckold on the set of Deadwood cheers James and he attached a little who's David Milch David Milch is a uh, TV writer and producer who created Deadwood and created I believe created NYPD blue okay. as well and uh, if not created was a big-time writer on Hill Street Blues he's kind of a legend okay I should I should be more respectful of his name I guess though. he also created John from Cincinnati <laughs> John from Cincinnati <laughs> now he John whoever this John is he sounds kind of average but um, I, I think he could be kind of a parable to the story of Christ but you know I, we'll, we'll we'll talk about that John Christ uh, on our on our John from Cincinnati episode <laughs> thank you James um I think we've we've been uh, tooting that horn for so long now it's almost a bit tiresome. Yeah, those guys do suck, but it's like, thank you so much. Thank, we, I'm glad that us being obnoxious about how much they sucked uh, at least got us one new fan. We should pick some new enemies. Yeah, put someone else in the scope. Okay, you must remember this. Yeah, right. Oh, they you guys have, are a little. You guys got, are a little hesitant. Wait, got, I don't know what that is. It's a. Uh, I almost did the. I almost said Ryan Johnson. It's Karina Ooh. Longworth's podcast. Ryan Johnson's wife's podcast. <laughs> it's George Clooney's wife's podcast. George Clooney's <laughs> wife's friends <laughs> podcast. I don't want to tread into that territory. No, yeah, no, it's a, it's a pretty good show. I just, I, I, yeah, I just, I'm, I'm throwing rocks. No, yeah, I mean, Blank Check was okay because it's like the most powerful guy they knew in Hollywood was Woody Allen, and it's like he doesn't. Yeah, have, I know uh, him yeah, too. Yeah, I know. So he doesn't have that much cachet in the industry anymore. So you could, yeah, yeah not, not really a threat uh yeah i got a couple people in mind but uh let's let's we gotta we gotta be tactful we can't just you know we can't be you know we'll save the wheeling and dealing for after the record exactly exactly why are you hitting it raw right now no headphones i just i just a little i was a little stuffy and i just figured you know I'd, I'd go raw for the last five minutes (laughs) (laughs) there's no time we could just end it now if you're still feeling stuffy is hey, if there's another question, I'll, add, I'll answer there's more questions. Not. I have a question. Yeah, what? JT, what's our double feature next week? Well, I mean, 
talking about Griffin Newman, talking about the <laughs> podcast, business, state of affairs. It's like, look, I think we need to do more projects to juice the numbers, Absolutely. to get people excited, to get people involved. And a lot of the time that involves clickbait trickery. I yeah. know people really responded to our Joker review. Mm. Some said that Joker was even the worst film we've ever talked about on this podcast at the Golden Gears. Controversial. This year. It is controversial. And so in order to bring back like maybe maybe we report this a little bit dishonestly, <laughs> but we're do it's an IndieWire Joker review part 2. Ooh. Except this time it's 1970 Mira Nam Joker by Raj Kapoor. Okay. It's Let's a, go. It's one long fucking film, one probably regular sized episode. But yeah, we're gonna mm. split. We're gonna go full Bollywood mode. We're gonna have an intermission. Yeah. We're gonna we're gonna have Malcolm in the middle in the intermission of our discussion of the Raj Kapoor film, and uh, it's gonna be awesome. We, yeah. we we made a promise to you. That we were going to explore more of the world of cinema, and we're upholding that promise because yeah. we're good podcasters. And this will be good clickbait, you know what I mean? We're not going to just <laughs> remember, oh, I just remembered this Michael Mann scene. I love it so much. You know what I mean? <laughs> we're not just remembering. Well, it's not that you just remembered the Michael Mann scene. It's that you're always thinking I'm about always that. thinking <laughs> about this Martin Scorsese thing, man. <laughs> I freaking love Goodfellas, but um. By the way, yeah, I would just—I know we're probably fifty weeks out right now, but a little preview for next year's Golden Gears. Oh. I'm already writing in Eric Romer for the Doctor T Award, or not even Eric Romer. I'm writing in the character of Frederic for the Doctor T Award for loving women. <laughs> I yeah, I think I, I think, think he's a candid a, a nomination is locked in at the very least. Yeah, definitely Dr. T with kind of like a, you know, a twisted French morality. Yeah. To him, to him, you know what I mean? Dr. T kind of keeps a clear head, which is something I've always liked about yeah. him. <sighs> That'll do it for this yeah. week's extended clip. Um, if you don't follow us online at extended clip 69, uh, bye. You keep Viagra in the glove compartment? Yeah, right next to the Altoids. I may not look like Brad Pitt, but I can fuck like him.